Tomorrow is the second Monday in October, a day increasingly being renamed instead of Columbus Day, Indigenous Peoples Day. This change invites us to shift our focus from centering the celebration of European colonization starting in this land to remembering and honoring that centuries before that, the indigenous peoples of this place had advanced agriculture, sophisticated education and culture, and extensive transportation networks, and much more as we've detailed uh, in previous Sunday services. And on this Sunday before Indigenous Peoples Day, it is both important and haunting to recall that in 1492, when European invaders first arrived on this continent, there were an estimated 112 million indigenous people here. 150 years later, in 1650, European colonizers had decimated the indigenous population from 112 million to about 6 million. By the end of the 19th century, the indigenous population was a mere 228,000. Depending on the sources historians use, that means that the total number of indigenous people that were wiped out on this continent, somewhere between 90% and 99% on the high end. Today, there are more than 573 federally recognized indigenous tribal nations uh, within um, the mainland United States, but that also accounts for only one half of 1% of the total U.S. population today. So much has been lost, but in remembering, we open the possibility of glimpsing new ways forward. Often when I drive into downtown Frederick, I see a sign that this city was founded in 1745. Many of you have probably seen that as well. And that's impressive that the city of Frederick has been around 276 years. I love historic downtown Frederick and walking through and seeing the, the variety of um, architecture. But as our chalice lighting reminded us, Frederick is also on the ancestral and unceded lands of the Piscataway people who have walked these hills for 800 years or more and who remain an integral part of our community. 800 years takes us back to the 13th century, almost three centuries before Columbus sailed the ocean blue and more than five centuries before the founding of the city of Frederick. For a previous Indigenous Peoples Day Sunday service here at UCF, we did reflect on Dr. Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz's powerful book, An Indigenous Peoples History of the United States, published by the UUA's own Beacon Press. If you haven't read it, I recommend it. It's also been released in a shorter, more accessible young people's version, and you don't have to be young or young at heart, whatever. You can read that shorter, more accessible version if that's what you have time for. This year, part of what I'd like us to um, reflect on is some highlights from Dr. Um, Dunbar-Ortiz's latest book titled, Not a Nation of Immigrants, Settler Colonialism, White Supremacy, and a History of Erasure and Exclusion, also published by the Unitarian Universalist Association's own Beacon Press. Beacon Press is regularly putting out quite incredible books. That title alone is a lot to take in. What, what does she mean by that, not? a nation of immigrants. 
Has anybody grown up hearing that your whole life? We're a nation of immigrants. Like that's that's just something I've I've always heard. It's especially common in the struggle for immigration justice, reminding people of their family's own history of immigration can help mollify xenophobic fears of new immigrants to this country. All of that is true, and Dr. Dunbar-Ortiz challenges us to also notice the ways that that descriptor, nation of immigrants, skips over the earlier part of the story in which European immigrants decimated the original inhabitants of this land. So before proceeding, it might be helpful to pause and consider the various dynamics that are at play here. It's, it's not such a simplistic either-or situation as it can sometimes seem to be in which a view is either completely wrong and another one completely right. A both-and approach can often be helpful. Sometimes multiple perspectives can each both conceal and reveal. Each perspective reveals certain things while concealing others. Other perspectives also both conceal and reveal various aspects of the truth. Can we make space within ourselves to hold the tension of multiple perspectives containing truth? From the perspective of immigration justice, emphasizing the ways that we are a nation of immigrants really can help decrease xenophobia and other irrational fears about immigration. Likewise, it can be glorious to celebrate, along with Lin-Manuel uh, Miranda's version of Hamilton, that immigrants, they get the job done. All that being said, are we also willing to recognize that from an indigenous people's point of view, celebrating that this nation is a nation of immigrants can feel like an erasure, a covering up of the history of settler colonialism. Settler colonialism is when a new group of settlers comes in and seeks to replace the original occupants of a territory. And a commitment to make efforts towards reversing the harms of the settler colonial process is called decolonization. Before proceeding, it may also be helpful to make a connection between decolonization and our ongoing work to dismantle racism and to dismantle white supremacy culture. Since 2017, in particular, Unitarian Universalists have gotten increasingly serious about anti-racism. You know, we've tried to really figure out, you know, we've been trying to do this right since the like 1950s and I mean, even further back, being part of the abolitionist movement and like noticing like what haven't we gotten right? So since 2017, we've really been trying to sort of redouble and triple our efforts to get serious about anti-racism. You can see that in the grassroots movement to pass a UU eighth principle at the congregational level which we've done here at UUCF, journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle racism within ourselves and our institutions. You can also see an increasing commitment to anti-racism in the Widening the Circle of Concern report produced by the Unitarian Universalist Association's Commission on Institutional Change that's sort of named that we here at UUCF, we as the UUA, we are perfectly designed to get the results we've been getting. So we have to change the design to get different results, institutional change. Following the recommendations of that report, we're now in the second of a five-year process to make a series of systemic changes to become more multicultural. And we'll certainly need to continue that justice work in perpetuity. It's just that the horizon of this current plan is five years, and then we'll reevaluate and make a new plan accordingly. So all of that is great, 
And this is another one of those places where multiple perspectives can both conceal and reveal various aspects of the truth. Even anti-racism conceals and reveals. There's so much wisdom in the UU 8th principle for dismantling racism, and it's also true that from an indigenous people's perspective, the 8th principle is not enough. It's sort of necessary but not sufficient for getting where we need to go. To be clear, this is, not, this is about something far larger than the UU 8th principle. In general, indigenous scholars are calling for the need to decolonize anti-racism. Decolonization can mean at least two things. First, it can mean literally undoing colonization. Just get the land back. <laughs> That's part of what decolonization can mean to the greatest extent possible. Second, decolonization can mean the process of increasingly centering indigenous people and perspectives, indigenous wisdom and knowledge, indigenous ways of being in the world. So decolonizing anti-racism is about recognizing the ways in Dr. Dunbar Ortiz's words that anti-racism alone is often complicit with the settler colonial agenda. And again, in the spirit of multiple perspectives being potential sources of truth, we can come to appreciate that it is extraordinarily important and needed to learn U.S. history, for example, from the perspective of the 1619 Project, as I know many of you have done in various ways, which emphasizes the importance of telling U.S. history from the perspective that centers the arrival of the first enslaved Africans in the English colony of Virginia. For, you know, in 1619. That anti-racism narrative is tremendously important. We should be incredibly grateful for Isabella Wilkerson, Ibram Kendi, and others who are helping us tell that story better. And the movement to decolonize anti-racism calls on us to start the story even earlier with the theft of land from the original inhabitants. Indigenous scholars further challenge us to recognize that even the call to multiculturalism, which again is a really good thing in so many ways, can be a mechanism for avoiding the acknowledgement of settler colonialism. Just adding indigenous people to our list of people of color is not enough. Here's the way one scholar of decolonization has put it. If America's greatest social successes, even if there's a long way to go, if America's greatest social successes have been registered on the frontier of race, and he uses that word frontier very intentionally, the same cannot be said on the frontier of colonialism. If the race question is the cutting edge of American reform that we still have a long way to go on, the native question highlights the limits of that reform. The thrust of American struggles have been to de-racialize, but not to de colonize. A deracialized America still remains a settler society and a settler state. That's some hard truth, that even if we, you know, made reparations, closed the racial wealth gap and other related changes needed to, um, necessary for racial justice, ended mass incarceration, etc., all of that alone would still not address the earlier injustice done to the indigenous people of this land. Currently, the Unitarian Universalist Association has formed what we're calling an Article II Commission. Now, that's a really nerdy thing to call something. So if you look on the back of your order of service, the, the UU principles and sources, those are technically located in Article II of the UUA bylaws. <laughs> so like, that's where they're technically found. So we have this Article II Commission that is thinking about how might we rewrite the 
the, bio, the principles and sources to sort of update them for all that we know now in the 21st century. Because last time they were really at revised was like kind of in the 80s and then a little bit in the, in the 90s. So the, the latest update I've heard is we should anticipate a report from the Article II Commission this summer at Unitarian Universalist General Assembly with votes to potentially follow in 2023 and 2024. 20, uh, I suspect the final version of what the Article II Commission proposes for the UU principles will explicitly call us not only to anti-racism but to decolonization. But I actually don't know that for sure, and time will tell. We'll see. Regardless, let's begin to consider what would it mean if we were to take or begin to take decolonization seriously? I do think that probably the most important starting point is grief. I do think that opening our hearts and our minds and our spirits to just feeling the deep, deep harm that has occurred is a really vital starting point but we can't stop there. For any truth and reconciliation process to have integrity, we must be not only truth-telling, but there must also be accountable efforts towards repairing harm and restoring right relationship. To that end, let me share just a few highlights from a second book that I've been reading, just really for myself, and I don't have the answers to all this. I've been reading and researching to sort of, you know, come to begin to articulate my own pers perspective and um, reflection for this year's Indigenous Peoples Day. This book is titled The Gatherings, Reimagining Indigenous Settler Relations. You're just kind of getting together and let's just begin to talk about this and hear one another's perspective and build relationships. It's actually the record of transformative conversations that happened 30 years ago, but then sort of nothing much happened from there because people, we weren't as a society ready to have this conversation. And the gatherings is actually, we're publishing these transcripts of conversations that happened 30 years ago because now we're finally have more people, a critical mass of people, wanting to listen and learn and consider where do we go from here. This whole book is worth rereading, is worth reading, but for our purposes, I will share with you just three points of hope. Because I do think one of the biggest takeaways from this work that I think many of you have come to see with anti-racism and may come to see, or may already with decolonization, that it can, it can start by feeling like this very heavy burden, one more thing to worry about, and then it can begin to see to seem incredibly liberating and emancipatory and incredibly exciting as we look for new life-giving ways of being in the world together where we really all get free. The non-indigenous perspectives of these gatherings found that their deeper takeaway, their first takeaway was white guilt. That was not their deeper takeaway uh, because they came to find that what they really took away from this was not white guilt. It was not just a bunch of feeling bad about transgressions of the past. Because as it turns out, just as with anti-racism, guilt actually doesn't accomplish very much, you know, just self-laceration. What they found was more productive was that they came away with humility and with compassion. Just, and it's kind of that humility of, being open to other perspectives, realizing that I actually don't have all the answers and it actually can feel a lot better than that kind of prideful perspective of I already know where this is going, like really entering into these gatherings and knowing that I don't know what's gonna happen in this conversation between indigenous and non-indigenous people. So they came away with more humility and compassion and a much greater awareness of how much they had to learn as well as a deep gratitude for these relationships between, uh, within diversity. 
A second point of hope is that centering indigenous perspectives can dramatically increase the development of ecological ways of, so sort of connecting to our, our sermon next week on climate justice with Brooke Harper coming in. That, um, Connected, centering indigenous perspectives can be much more sustainable for the planet long term as opposed to the more egocentric colonial approaches that are based on dominance and control and greed. There's significant ways that beginning to practice decolonization can contribute to the work of climate justice. One delightful and powerful book and moving book that we've talked about before, if you're curious to begin to think about indigenous ways of knowing, is called Braiding Sweetgrass. Have any, have any of you read that? It's really a beautiful book, Braiding Sweetgrass. Uh, it's written by a, a woman who is trained as a biologist and is also an elder, as in, so really kind of holding and weaving together these, these multiple ways of being in the world. The third point of hope is some small but significant moves in the right direction in current events. Uh, what immediately comes to mind is Deb Holland becoming the first Native American cabinet secretary in the history of these here United States. Consider that as interior secretary, Miss Holland runs an agency once responsible for eradicating the homes, the culture, and often the lives of indigenous people that is now being run by an indigenous woman who is seeking to do things as differently as she can within the, the system. Along those lines, I want to move toward my conclusion by sharing with you one really interesting and provocative example I read of the decolonial imagination at work. Did any of you read the article The Atlantic published a few months ago titled Return the National Parks to the Tribes? Anybody? Really interesting. The Atlantic, by the way, has a very strong history with some of our Unitarian Universalist ancestors that we don't have time to get into today. That article is worth checking out. While many people can see that there is not much likelihood at this point in relocating 300 plus million non-native people in this country and giving all the land back, this article about returning the national parks is just one among many possibly interesting propositions. It's written by an indigenous person. It's just meant to begin to awaken our imaginations beyond just, oh, we can't give the land back. By entering into conversations, we may find that there are creative possibilities as yet unforeseen. This is just one of them to give you an example. This article includes caveats, of course, such as maintaining standards of conservation, though actually indigenous people in control of uh, the national parks might lead to actually better standards of conservation than the, but it, you know, that or stricter standards of conservation as well as universal access. But such an action could be uh, and such an action could be one among many needed acts of reparation. But there are, uh, and there are international precedents for transfers of national monuments back to indigenous people. This happened in both Australia and New Zealand. This is all detailed in the article. There's also precedent in the US that I think is worth considering. In 1999, some of you are old enough to remember this, not my, the undergraduate students I'm teaching, they're not old enough to remember this, right? Like 18 years ago, like they're all like born after September 11th, 2001, right? Uh, but you all probably remember this. In 1999, the United States ceded control of the Panama Canal fully back to Panama. In the words of the article, it doesn't happen often, but the United States does sometimes give things back. For now, I'll conclude by inviting you to hear a poem by Joy Harjo, our current United States Poet Laureate and the first enrolled member of a Native American tribe to hold that position. As with Holland serving as Secretary of the Interior, Harjo's role is part of a much-needed process of increasingly centering indigenous people's perspectives. The poem I would like to share with you is called, For Calling the Spirit Back from Wandering the Earth in Its Human Feet. 
for calling the spirit back from wandering the earth and its human feet. It's from her 2015 collection, Conflict Resolution for Holy Beings. As I read it, listen if there's one or more kind of words or phrases that really shimmer or resonate or just you know, really land with you. Especially if you notice glimpses of hope for, oh, that's part of what decolonization looks like and why it could actually maybe be inspiring and good news. Look for that. Ways of increasingly centering indigenous people and perspectives and what that might look like. If you get glimpses from this poem of indigenous wisdom, indigenous knowledge, glimpses from this poem of indigenous ways of being in the world. Here's how it goes. She writes, put down that bag of potato chips, that white bread and that bottle of pop. Turn off that cell phone and that computer and remote control. Open the door and then close it behind you. Get outside, right? That's what she's saying. Take a breath offered by the friendly winds. They travel the earth, gathering the essences of plants to clean. Give back with gratitude. If you sing, it will give your spirits lift. Many of us are looking forward to the return of our choir, being able to sing, right? If you sing, it will give your spirit lift to fly to the stars' ears and back. The ears of the stars. To the stars' ears and back. Acknowledge this earth who has cared for you since you were a dream, planting itself precisely within your parents' desire. Let your moccasin feet take you to the encampment of the guardians who have known you before time, who will be there after time. They sit before the fire that has been there without time. And now I will underscore for you, this is my favorite line of this poem. I want you to continue listening for yours. This is my favorite. Let the earth stabilize your post-colonial insecure jitters. Let the earth Stabilize. Don't try to figure it out yourself how to do all this stuff. Let the earth stabilize your insecure, your post-colonial insecure jitters. That line alone would be worth spending the rest of this day and much more to come. Post-colonialism is about studying the cultural legacy of colonialism and imperialism, focusing on the human consequences of control and exploitation of colonized people on their lands. The whole academic study of this stuff, post-colonialism. Let the earth stabilize your post-colonial insecure jitters. Be respectful of small insects, birds, and animal people who accompany you. Ask their forgiveness. Ask the forgiveness of the small insects, the birds, the animal people, the animal people who accompany you. Remember we talked a few weeks ago about animal rights? Ask their forgiveness for the harm we humans have wrought down upon them. Don't worry, she writes. Don't worry. The heart knows the way. Though there may be high-rises and interstates and checkpoints and armed soldiers and massacres and wars and those who will despise you because they despise themselves. All that's true, and the heart knows the way. The journey might take you a few hours, a day, a year, a few years, a hundred, a thousand, or even more. Watch your mind. Without training, it might run away and leave your heart for the immense human feast set by the thieves of time. 
do not hold regrets. When you find your way to the circle, like these gatherings I was talking about that happened 30 years ago, when you find your way to the circle to keep the fire burning by the keepers of your soul, you will be welcomed. You must clean yourself with cedar, sage, and other healing plant. Cut the ties you have to failure and shame. That's not going to get us where we have to go to, go to self-lacerating ourselves. Let go the pain you are holding in your heart, your shoulders. You can loosen your shoulders right now if you're noticing they're scrunched up. Let go the pain you're holding in, your mind, your shoulders, your heart, all the way to your feet. Let go the pain of your ancestors to make way for those who are heading in our direction, right? Those still to come, seventh generation thinking, even unto the seventh generation to come. Ask for forgiveness. Call upon the help of those who love you. And these helpers take many forms. As Catherine was sharing about in the story, helpers take many forms, animal, element, bird, angel, saint, stone, ancestor. Call yourself back. You will find yourself caught in corners and creases of shame and judgment and human abuse. You must call in a way that your spirit will want to return. Speak to it as you would a beloved child. Speak to your spirit the way you would to a beloved child. Welcome your spirit back from its wanderings. It will return in pieces, in tatters. Gather them together. They will be happy to be found after being lost for so long. As we start to explore these things, anti-racism, decolonization, homophobia, and more, we may find that our soul is in pieces and in tatters much more than we realized. Gather them together. They will be happy to be found after being lost for so long. Your spirit will need to sleep a while after it has bathed and been given clean clothes. Now you can have a party. Invite everyone you know who loves and supports you. Keep room for those who have nowhere else to go. Make a giveaway, and remember, keep the speeches short. I know, where the irony. <laughs> she concludes this way. Then you must do this. This is really important. Help the next person find their way through the dark help the next person find their way through the dark. So as we hold these words in our heart, whatever piece of this is resonating with you in such a time as this, as we seek to let the earth, the earth, not our mind, we don't have to figure it out alone, as we seek to let our connection, our growing connection to the earth stabilize our post-colonial insecure jitters, let us open our spirit to the wisdom of the earth that might emerge, let us listen next to this chant in that spirit titled Ancient Mother. <laughs>